Okay, here we go. The Pen and Maggie Show. He's about to get crazy and wild. Stay for a while. Don't touch a radio dial. The Pen Show. Kicking it back. Sports talk. Listen to that and stay tuned for some giggles and laughs. Go. Welcome to the Planet Mikey Show. Starting to get really annoyed with whoever is laughing in that uh, opening thing. The guy's an asshole. Uh, our, what podca- I heard. <laughs> our podcast number 17 is brought to you by, as all as they all are, Dr. Robert Leonard, Leonard Hair Transplant Associates with main chief surgeon, Dr. Matthew Lepresti, who's an artist. He can fix your baldness like he did with a number of famous people, Wes Welker, Rob Ninkovich, in fact, anybody, anybody who's anybody and has had their hair permanently restored, had it done with Leonard Hair Transplant Associates with six New England locations, 1-800-GET-HAIR. Free consultation if you need it, and you and you might. <laughs> also, my good friends at Joe Fish, North Andover and North Reading, we thank them for their sponsorship of our humble little podcast, now in episode 17. But kicking the living shit out of any other podcasts that are anything like it, even remotely. In fact, some people are even talking about it on the radio because <laughs> they're pissed about what I said about them. But we'll talk about that next week. <laughs> Douchebags. Um, we're very, very happy to have a woman in the studio who not only is wicked hot, but I've known her for 20 years, and she's always been hot, and she's fabulous. And I don't talk about radio people this way very often, but of all the women I've ever worked with in radio, this woman is my favorite, and there's no, it's not even close, Mistress Carey. Hi. Hello, Dumplin'. Thanks for letting me in your basement. Isn't this awesome? This is like a compound down here. I feel like a doomsday prepper. Well, Ben usually is playing video games during the entire podcast. This is fantastic. It's youthful. How are you doing? I'm good. Am I the first girl? You're the first woman. Yeah. yeah and we're happy about that because, you know, we don't want some, sh- you know, like some bitchy shitball mean spirit. Yeah, girls are gross. The girls can be so mean, <laughs> you know, especially when they don't like me. Yeah. You know, but you've always been a great friend of mine, and I'm so happy. To, it's been three years since I've I seen know, you. I know. I haven't seen you in so long. I stalk you on the interwebs. That's how I know what you're up to. Well, I got fired three years ago from Intercom. I know. I'm sorry. And uh, it wasn't my fault. Uh, I didn't know that gun was loaded. <laughs> <laughs> I hated to see you go. You were, you're one of my favorites. Well, here we are together again. And so and now I want to I know, first... and you have cocktails. I appreciate it. Can I make an announcement about your career? Yeah. Carrie is now, she's been music director and and on-air personality uh, and hot woman uh, at WAAF. It says it on my business card. For so long. But now you're the assistant program director. Yeah. Which means you don't have to take all the heat, but you'll be taking some. Yeah, I take some of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. I have a nameplate on my desk and everything. It's so official. Assistant PD. Yeah. APD, that's a big thing. No, but you've. Look, you, I'm the first woman, too. For so many years, you've been Ever? in charge of the sound of the station to the degree that it's a music station. <laughs> yeah. And you're the music director. So yeah. you've had your hand in the mix for a long, long time in a very successful way. Uh, I'm the first um, female music director, as far as I know, and I'm the first assistant program director ever. Wow. Yeah. That's good. Now, it's you don't crazy. have to tell us the answer to this, but how much more money are you get? <laughs> <laughs> but it was the race. Was it Yeah, good? well, you know, I'm still working some. on it, but we'll <laughs> see. Some. Now, I go back with AAF a long way. I used to go, when I was doing TV in the 90s, I, Liz Wilde had me out to the Worcester studio. Yeah, that's when I started my internship in that studio. She had some bubbles going there. There was a lot going on with that show. I She had Slash up in the studio once and had a whole studio full of snakes and reptiles because really? he's into that. Yeah. Well, that, well, that's pretty weird. Did they get them all out? 
Yeah, well, he's he's a big reptile guy. Like he volunteers <laughs> for the the L.A. Zoo and really, and, yeah, he does a lot of work with the L.A. Zoo with Betty White. Those two are friends. Can you imagine those two at your all of a sudden someone goes to a party at your house and Betty White is there with Slash? Slash would be awesome. What the hell? (laughs) Who made up this guest list? You know, that's I love the fact that they're friends though, it gives me hope for humanity. Like, if Betty White and Slash can hang out and kick it, how can you not get along with Betty White? Right? She's she's too uh, that's what I'm saying. Now, you've had so many interludes, I don't mean sexually, I'm talking about in the (laughs) studio. You've had so many famous people come into the studio. I used to see them walking around. Uh, I, I was in a parking lot one day at Intercom, and I hear somebody go, oh, and I'm like, oh, I, I've heard that voice before. Steven Tyler leaving your show. Yeah. You, he gave you know. me a harmonica lesson. He did? Yeah. Mouth organ? He came up to the studio to talk about some charity stuff that he was doing. I'm, I'm leaving the mouth organ thing. I'm just going to let go. What? I didn't say that. Because they're going to fly fast and furious, that I'm sure, bad. on this podcast. Uh, but I went to the toy store and got two little kid harmonicas. And when he came up to the studio, I, I busted them out, and I was like, will you give me a harmonica lesson? And so he taught me how to, like, do the bass line. And then he ripped a harp solo on this little kid harmonica, and I was like, oh, I can't believe— It was a toy harmonica. It was a toy harmonica. <laughs> and he did this amazing solo and had me running the bass line on a harmonica under it. So I played harmonica with Steven Tyler. That's pretty good. And then when he was done, oh, CD's and, coming up. And he and he went to leave. He was like, "Can I keep this? It actually sounds pretty good." And I was like, "Sure, you can." It was when that blues album "Honkin' on Bobo" came out, okay. that Aerosmith album. Yeah. And it had the harmonica on the on the cover. So I brought the that's, little kid ones. That's that's now you've also had um, uh, relationships with some bands that had their roots locally that you helped to make. Professional relationships. Well, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, why, yeah. Why, why would I get into that? Because I'm a girl and I work at a rock station, so everybody thinks I'm banging the bands. Well, that's that's it's natural thought for thing. some guys. You yeah. have, it's a guy's station. You're programming yeah. to mostly guys. What's the percentage? Yeah. Of? I, I don't know. I mean, it's got to be probably two-thirds, I would think, yeah. men. The other third's badass bitches like me. Who, who wish they were men. <laughs> I don't wish I was a guy. Well, some of them. I'm, I'm talking about the listeners, happy not, not you. Being a man. No, you're rocking in the free world. That's you can right. do whatever you want, but I'm talking about the listeners. Some of them. Yeah, if you don't believe her, just Google image search. <laughs> She's perfectly comfortable <laughs> am, being a woman. I, that's, that's right. right. And we're I'm all more comfortable right. with that too. That's it. now. I think the first time I ever like had a crush on you. Which was when um, you started stalking me professionally. Yes, that's yeah. right. So you had multiple. Cr- it wasn't one prolonged well, no, crush. No, it, it was continuous just... and intermittent as things are. He would go away for a while because the police <laughs> told him to, and then he would that's come right. back when I relax. <laughs> that's right. And I follow you on Twitter, and I also follow you. <laughs> who's the, who's that behind? It? No, <laughs> but you you were we were we did a Christmas party, an intercom Christmas party. Oh, I know the one you're sp- talking about. You had spilled yourself into a plastic black leather. Uh, it's vinyl. Vinyl dress. It's vinyl. And you had you looked so awesome, and it was like I was going, hey, that's the first girl I've ever really had this feeling about that was dressed in plastic. <laughs> it was incredible. Who doesn't show up at their company Christmas party in a black vinyl gown? It was made for you, um, but that was the first time I said, "Okay, so there's something nice about." It. But then I got to know you a little bit, and you weren't that scary. You weren't like uh, Mister Scary. Yeah, that's my alter ego. Because if you if you go on the voice to text and you say Mistress Carrie, sometimes it comes up Mr. Scary. Mr. Scary. Yes, that's my alter ego. But let me ask you, because a lot of the audience is going to want to know this if they don't know already. 
what the fuck happened with the purple hair? When? What made you do it? And is it not the biggest radio trademark in the market? I wanted to have purple hair when I was a little kid. Like, if I, I never liked playing with dolls, but when they were around, I would color their hair purple. And then when I all was, of them, <laughs> dolls don't have the other stuff. So, like, what are you talking about, no, weirdo? No, I'm talking about all of the dolls. Yes, not, I all of them got purple hair. Not all of the hairs. <laughs> Freaking pervert. So I always wanted to have purple hair. And then in the '80s, one of my favorite albums was Cinderella Night Songs. It was their debut album, and they took all of their press photos in this smoky kind of purple light, and it made their hair have, like, this purple hue to it. And I was like, oh, my God, that looks really cool. I would love to be able to dye my hair like that. My mom said, when you move out of my house, because back set. then, <laughs> dyeing your hair purple was like, oh, my God. Radical. And so when I moved to Boston, when I went to college, on my 18th birthday, I went to the salon and dyed it purple, and it's been purple since my 18th birthday. Now, where did you move to Boston from? Lemonster, that's where I grew up. Oh, okay, up. so that, that's Apple Country. Y- yeah. Yeah, Apple Birthplace of Johnny Appleseed, Pioneer Plastic City. That's right. I think I might have planted a few seeds there myself. We have the longest-serving uh, mayor in the Commonwealth. Really? What's yeah. his, his, her name? Dino Mazzarella. Oh, Dino, hey, what are you doing over What's here? What's up, Mayor Maz? You're so mayoral. Um, so you came from Lemonster, yeah. and you came to Boston to go to... Newbury College. Newbury College. Yeah. And you started at AAF as an intern at a very youthful, like... Uh, yeah, I was 18. Unbelievable. You've yeah. been there ever since. Yeah. No one in radio does that. I know. It's very weird. I'm very Because nobody fortunate. wants to do that either. <laughs> usually. <laughs> usually the case. But think about this. If you, you say WAAF, if you don't say Mistress Carrie in the same breath, what would life be like? I mean, I like I said, I go back... When Opie and Anthony were working there. Yeah. You were there when they were there. I was there on the street team. Them getting fired is what got me my job. Oh. So I thank them every chance I get. Well, how did that happen? Because... Is that the mayoral thing? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I had applied to be their producer. Because I thought Howard Stern's got Robin, like... Opie and Anthony should have a, a chick around. Uh, yeah, right. And I was on the street team, and so I would go out and do, you know, I would drive the van if they were doing a live broadcast or whatever. Sure. I was there. And so I asked them, are you guys interested in maybe, you know, me applying for the job? And I had been at AAF for probably seven and a half, seven years at that point, seven and a half years, something like that. It's crazy. And as an intern and then on the street team and whatever. And the producer job was going to be partially their producer and then partially like putting commercials together. And so they said, yeah, you should apply. So I was a roadie at the same time. I was working part-time at AAF, and I was a roadie as my other job. So I put a whole demo together to show that I could do production for them, that I could make the funny stuff that they aired on their show. Right. And I didn't have anybody else's voice to use, so I used mine. And it was it, – I have a copy of it. It's horrific. Well, every first tape of any person on the radio is... It's it's horrible. Remember that <laughs> British nanny that shook that little kid to yes, death? Yes, yes. Like, a, a Woodward yep. was her last name? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I was doing impressions of her on the demo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This Speaking thing of was au pair. Aw- <laughs> this thing was awful. And I applied for the job, and I didn't get it because they told me I didn't have enough experience and whatever... But the program director at the time said, do you ever think about being a DJ? And I was like, no. What am I going to do? Go on the radio and be like, hi, my name's Carrie and I play songs. Sure. I was like, no, I'm, you know, that's not my thing. Because I always thought I was going to be behind the scenes, you know, 
the control board. Your mindset was not to be on the air. Yeah. And so I went down the hall and Opie and Anthony were in the studio and they were like, well, what did they say? And I'm assuming they knew I wasn't going to get the job. They're obviously in on who gets hired. And I said, well, I didn't get the job and whatever. I said, but, you know, he asked me if I ever wanted to be a DJ. And I said, no. And Opie gave me the most sound career advice. He said, are you fucking stupid? (laughs) Great sound advice right out of the mouth. Totally. He goes, AAF is one of the premier rock stations in the country. Hundreds of people trying to get a better job than they already have in radio send demos to that station. They, with no experience, just kind of offered you a job and you said no. Turn around, go down the hall, tell them you're sorry, and tell them yes. Whatever they want, you will do it. And and I did that. Thank you God. Verbatim? Yeah. Anything you want? Well, no, no not anything. Kidding. But, yeah, that I was like, you know what? I've been here for seven and a half years already. Three of those years I worked for free as an intern. Mm-hmm. And then I was working for minimum wage, driving the van, handing out bumper stickers and stuff. So I was like, yes, I love the station. I want to be here. And then, like, two weeks later, one of the girls that worked part-time on the weekend got fired. And so I started working, like, early Saturday morning and overnight shifts for a couple months. And then Opie and Anthony got fired. And they called me. They had to move some people around. They moved some people around. They put our night guy on in the afternoon. And they said, we're thinking about just putting you on at night to see what happens. Are you interested? And I was like, yeah. And I had no experience. Right. So they just stuck this crazy purple-haired girl in the studio that's great though and i just had no idea how many mistakes i was making and they were they were a a huge uh, as aaf legends go i mean they obviously they had a little trouble there with the saying that the mayor was ted were you around for that ben yeah i remember that people were young but i remember scared of opie and anthony they were because they were crazy look they used to call into my (laughs) i had that television show with no delay at night (laughs) and so they'd have their people call in and they'd say had this thing going on called butt plug butt plug yeah yeah so they called the show and i'm on the air you know television on camera and all of a sudden uh, some guy would call up and he'd say yeah butt plug and i'd say oh instead of getting pissed i'd say hey that reminds me don't forget to listen to opie and anthony every single morning on waaf you know uh, the only station that really rocks and they'd give them a commercial so they they would play it the next day on their show you know naturally and promote your tv yeah, show so we had a good time and then i did i had never met them though till i went to new and they were doing talk in the afternoon and yeah. i was on before them we i did the midday and they did the afternoons and i got along great with them but they've had problems they're they're yeah. they're controversial they are very controversial but both of those guys separately and together were never anything but amazing to me mm-hmm. they've always been so sweet to me they have never had a curse word about right, me. Right. I mean, all of the drama that they had when they left AF and all of that. Anthony's one of the funniest people on this earth. Yeah. And it, I mean, both of them are just so good at what they do. Yep. And even though the split with AAF was really controversial, they were so complimentary to me mm-hmm. and so sweet to me. And I just saw Anthony a few months ago. He was in town um, promoting his book. And I saw him, and I was like, dude, can we please take a selfie? And people on the internet were just like, oh, my God. <laughs> and it was just, it's just awesome to yeah. see. I mean, he's, you know, speaking of studios in the basement, doing podcasts and killing it. Like, he started a whole Compound company. media. Yeah. It's good. It's yeah. awesome. I love Anthony. He's hilarious. I do not agree with most of the shit he says, but he's one of the funniest <laughs> yeah. fucking people he really you is. could ever hear on radio. And, and he is fearless. And I really oh, respect that. Yeah, I yeah. really respect that. Right. Well, it, that's why you carry a gun. Your positive <laughs> experience with Opie is one of the few times I've heard anyone say anything yeah. positive about working I, with him. I have never had a negative experience with either one of those guys. Yeah. 
And and you know what? It was I, a great show. I have very few negative experiences with anybody in this business. That I can count the people probably on one hand. Okay, let's name them. Uh, I'll, I'll throw some names at you, and you tell me how you got along with them. Okay. <laughs> well, when it comes well, how to about Rocco, I, I always got along with Rocco. Um, I got along with him as long as we were in the stairwell doing illegal stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you a funny Rocco story. When I first started, this was when Godsmack was just breaking. And, and all credit goes to Rocco. He's the one that started playing them when they were a local band. That was all him. He and kind of discovered them? He then? did. Yeah. They yeah. were a local band. And so as Godsmack was getting popular and I got on the air... I'm this new night jock, and I'm playing their music at night, and so I was going to all of their shows. And they played a gig up at Hampton Beach somewhere. And at the time, I'd, I was still living in Lemonster at the time. Rocco was living in Worcester. We're up at Hampton or Salisbury. No, I think it was Salisbury Beach. And Rocco's like, come on, we're having a party at my house. And, like, my brain didn't even think, like, well, all the guys from Godsmack are up. You know, they're from the Methuen area. They're not going to drive to Worcester to go to this party or whatever. So I was like, okay. So I thought everybody was going back to Rocco's house. By the time we got to Worcester, there was, like, five of us. And we're at Rocco's house, and slowly people started leaving. And he had this producer guy that worked for him, and he was getting ready to go. And now I'm sitting there, and I'm new. And I'm sitting there, and Rocco gets up, and I love the guy to death. He gets up, and he's like, I'm going to bed. You coming? <laughs> Just like that. Wow. And I was like, no. Come to the chase. I'm going home. And I learned a very valuable lesson that <laughs> night. Like, he wasn't, like, creepy or... Oh. You know, he asked I wasn't question. afraid, you know what I'm saying? But it was just, and so that quote, when I, whenever anybody brings up Rocco, that's all I can think of. I'm going to bed. Rocco. You coming? Yeah. So, now, you know, Hillman. You got to shoot your shots. Yeah. You, yeah. yeah, you, yeah. You, you, you miss the you, shots you don't take or what's yeah, that famous? You, you never get the order if the you don't Gretzky ask line. for it. Yeah. Um, the morning guy, Greg Hill, is, has been there forever. Was yeah. he there when you started? I interned for him. Okay, so he was here. Yeah, I think oh, yeah. he hits 30 years this year or next year. How do you do that in the radio business? You know, look, I only did rock and roll disc jockey work for 13 years, and I, I worked at 15 stations. How do you, how do you maintain like you did and like uh, like uh, Hillman has done? I don't know how he does gig. it because he's got to get up that early in the morning. He... He's a different breed of human to be able to go out and do all of the stuff that he does. He's got a foundation. He's up early. He's got restaurants. He's he just, just does all this stuff. And he's then a sheep he's, herder too. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then he gets into the studio, and it's very rare that he's late. Like he's there every morning, and I don't get it. Because I am not a morning person. Well, he's I don't probably know. so used to it. If you ever told him he, he had to come in an hour later, he wouldn't be able to deal with it. <laughs> I mean, he's been doing that for so long. I just, right? I don't understand how he does it. Mm -hmm. I really don't. But yeah, he's, I think he hits 30 years. If it's not this year, it's early next year. I got to tell you that I, you know, I used to be so into music, rock music. You know, I worked at uh, WCCC in Hartford, uh, classic rock station. I, I, I formatted Rock 102 in Springfield, 1981. I was the program director. I I was a rock guy, you know, for then all of a sudden when I turned over to sports in 84, I lost complete touch with the music industry. <laughs> 84 was a good year in rock, too. I, I knew well, Van Halen was, I mean, I, Pyromania I came out in 84. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's but, some good stuff. So I was still kind of clinging to a little bit of that, but I was going into the world of sports, and no, it had nothing to do with rock. But, for you know, the backstage stories, you've got to have 10 zillion of them. So let's swap some. Okay. All right. Um, 
I want first Ben's going to be talking. I know he's going to mention this because when he was backstage at Millie Vanilli, because he always <laughs> talks about that. Could you really tell they were lip syncing back there, or were they really convincing? <laughs> they they looked pretty real, for, <laughs> but um, give me the, the top five oh. people you were thrilled to meet in a backstage scenario. Um, I took... and then I'll talk about the captain Tennille. I it's not so much like the backstage thing. It's like weird. It's like weird stories, like. Um, like Zach Wild, who's in Black Label Society and plays guitar for Ozzy. Yeah. He is from New Jersey originally, and he's a diehard Yankees fan. So anytime he comes to town, we get into the whole battle back and forth, whatever. And he was in town for OzFest, and so we did a thing on the air that you could win tickets to go and sit behind home plate, Red Sox-Yankees game at Fenway with me and Zach Wild. And Zach and I, nice prize. yeah. And so um, Paul Marshall, who is one of our uh, one of the afternoon guys, that's not there anymore. Um, he was part of the bet as well. So Zach showed up with his beard and all his hair and the chain wallets and the leather vests and all that stuff. We had all these winners that won their way in, and we had the bet that the next day at Ozfest was dependent on who won the game. If the Sox won, he had to wear a Sox jersey out okay. on stage. Yeah. And if the Yankees won, we had to wear Yankees jerseys to Ozfest and go out on stage with him. And the what Sox happened? let me down, man. Oh, and there I was in a freaking Jeter jersey at Ozfest at the Xfinity Center. Mm-hmm. Or back then, I, I don't know if it was Great Woods or the Comcast. I don't remember what it was called. But um, we took a lot of abuse. And I yeah. have a picture of like me and Paul Marshall with Geezer Butler from Black Sabbath. And we're wearing Yankees jerseys like Assholes. Ouch! Ouch! Yeah. Oh, you so know what happened like to me, right? Like that. You remember this? Oh, the tattoo. Yeah, you it, you just got it to make me see your ass. I That's know. why you got yeah. it. I know, but I still send you those pictures. Yeah, I know. I, I appreciate <laughs> it. I, I save them. I have a whole folder on my iPhone form. So okay, so I'm in 1981 in East Long Meadow, Massachusetts, and Joan Jett was coming by to do an interview, and she was red hot with uh, I love rock and roll or some fucking thing. I don't know. The Blackhearts, right? So the, yeah. tour, the tour bus pulls right in front of the station. It's a suburban station. So, you know, there they are. I'm, doing, I'm making copies at the copy machine. And she pushes open the door. And, I, and it was all the ladies typing, you know, all the traffic department. All the, <laughs> they're in the office. And I, I go, oh, Joan Jett. She goes, what the fuck? <laughs> and she's, and every, all the women are like, who's this in a black leather jacket looking like? Pasty white, you know, and with the eyeliner. Look. Oh, and totally beat she's looking. Such a badass. Oh my god! And then the first thing she just screams is, "What the fuck?" So I got stoned with the Blackhearts on the on their tour bus, and it was delightful. So, but she went. She's down the first rock star I met at AF. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, she was good, and she went on the interview with the guy, and the guy's like, "Uh," oh. he goes, "I don't know why we had this guy on the air. He didn't know, have any feeling for what he was saying." So she sits down. He goes, "Oh, Joan Jett." He goes, "I'm impressed." That's what he said. I kind of cringe a little bit. Guys can him. be such dicks. And then Joan Jett looks at him and goes, impressed? Like, what the fuck are you talking about? And she oh, you're like a girl shit. and you know how to play guitar. I'm yeah. so impressed. But I lost touch with all the, all the bands and all the things. And all, I'll tell you one band that I really, really, really love a lot, especially. I'm gonna t- can I even tell you this? This is my favorite song by anybody that you might play ever. Okay. Disturbed sounds of silence. Yeah, it's a fantastic cover, it knocks, isn't it? It gives me goosebumps yeah. every time I hear that rendition. You should have been at the show a couple weeks ago. They were oh. at the DCU Center, and it's just—it's beyond powerful. It's so powerful to see it live. Oh man, yeah. I tell you, I just—I was like, I had to—I had to search out the video and watch it again. Again, it was really, really strong. But I don't know the names of all these yeah. bands. Now. Well, I think that band 
I think, and, and this isn't anything that I haven't said to their faces. They asked me to host the album premiere for their latest album, Evolution. Yeah. And they got so successful because of that song. I mean, they were French figure skaters at the Olympics skating to that song. Wow. It took that band to a whole other level. But when you looked at the band, when you heard the band name, and then if you listen to Dave Draymond, especially from those earlier Disturbed albums, the, you know, the waka guy, like, yeah. you wouldn't expect that that same band did that song. Whew. And it, that song made people realize how well he can really sing. Mm-hmm. Who do you love now? Which bands? Which bands? Give me three that you say like awesome. brand new bands or like it doesn't matter. It's it's Carrie's oh, choice. So many. Um, there's a great band that I that I'm into right now called the Glorious Sons. That's really cool. Is that S O N S or S U N S? S O N S. They have this song called S O S actually, which is funny, um, and it's really cool. Um, but it's not like ABBA's SOS. No. Do you know they turned down a billion dollars to reunite and go on tour? Who? ABBA. ABBA. They did? It's one yeah. of the dumbest things I thought ever. Be, I thought they be, don't need be, it. I thought they were all dead. No. Bjorn and Benny and uh, Schwinkter there. And, no. Yeah. What was the other one's name? <laughs> I, I don't know. Dipwad. <laughs> yeah, they. That's, that's the music rumor I heard anyway, that they Seriously? turned down a billion dollars. Yeah, it's been going around for a little while. Yeah. I, that's like a year old. Harry comes on the podcast to break some news about ABBA. Yeah, I know. Breaking what? music news from a decade ago on Planet Mikey. Oh, God. With the first girl they live let in the basement. That's right, but you won't be the last. Yeah, because, <laughs> by the way, you're not leaving. I, I was just going to say, I, actually, the news would be the first girl they let out of the basement. That's right, that we let out. Yeah. Um, so you... You started off as a purple-haired – no, uh, you didn't become a purple-haired person until until you were 18. Yeah, I died it on my 18th birthday. That was that was the end when of When I was in school studying radio, yeah. And let me ask you this. You work for a station that's probably – I'm going to guesstimate 70% male listeners. Yeah. Okay? And these aren't, you know, Cub Scouts. These are some serious people. Hey, we have some incredibly <laughs> nice, gracious, successful people – that w- that listen to the radio. That wear suits station. and everything. Yeah, you they also do. have some giant yeah. assholes that listen well, to the station. Well, so does everybody for else. Tat. Yeah, but but I think people think that you know that everybody that listens to AAF it has piercings and tattoos. It, it, yeah, and and that you know, it's like when you see somebody riding a Harley, you think they're you know automatically in a gang or so, like it's, right. the stereotype is crazy. There are a lot of people that come up to us and they're like, you know what, I have a real you know I work at State Street or. You know, I work in um, Real life. a NICU in a yeah. hospital, and it's really stressful. And I get in the car, and you guys make me laugh, and I love the music. And yeah, you know, but s- some of them must stereotype you, though. I mean, they must think because well, I think by know. now I, I've pretty much outlived the stereotypes. Uh, yeah, it's you like, probably you know at, what that's at this it. point, come on, you you got past it because you out you outlasted it. Yeah. Um, now, but your thing about you is that's really really different and weird. Ben, I'm going to ask you a question. What's the furthest you've ever run? At one time. No, in 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 ten years. What's the first? three four miles? Three four. Okay, that's pretty good. How about you, Smitty? Eight. You said eight, eight miles. The furthest I've ever run is ten miles. Mistress Carrie is running in the damn Boston Marathon, uh, April fifteenth. April fifteenth. Twenty six point two miles from out where I live near Hopkinton, all the way to Boston. And what? What was it that provoked you to do such an insane thing? I had a momentary lapse of sanity. Seriously. You have to to say, yes, I'll run the Boston Marathon as your first marathon, too. Who asked you to? 
the home base program. Right. Run the and, home base. Yeah. So the it, for anybody that doesn't know what the home base program is, when the Red Sox um, won the World Series in 2004, mm-hmm. they took the trophy to Walter Reed Hospital. And in 2004, Walter Reed Hospital was full. You know, that was the height of the Iraq War in right, Afghanistan. Right. And they were supposed to spend like an hour there. You know, a lot of people go and they visit the troops at Walter Reed and they spent the whole day, and from what I've been told, it really changed everybody that works in the Red Sox organization. And when they came back— It had back, an impact on it. It had a huge impact, yeah. and they wanted to do something. So they partnered uh, with Mass General Hospital, and they said, we will raise the money if you can supply the facilities and the clinicians. And so they created the home base program. And it's very an or- popular. It's grown very much. It's it's huge now. So their original mission statement was to treat the invisible wounds of war of post 9-11 veterans. So we're talking post-traumatic stress, traumatic brain injury um, they and their families as well, mm-hmm. because a lot of people overlook the role of the family members who are usually the first people to recognize the changes in the veteran. Mm-hmm. And. They are the ones that are most affected by the change in the veteran sure. as well. Their whole life has changed because the emotional impact of that and the, and the necessity to be there yeah. for that person be, changes your life. If, if the if the veteran comes home and can't hold down a job, it affects the the wife and kids right. or the husband and kids. Or so that was the original mission statement, and it's become so successful that now they treat any era veteran, they treat the family, they treat them for everything from. Uh, post-traumatic stress, traumatic brain injury, addiction issues, family issues. They are also training clinicians nationwide on how to um, spot the symptoms of brain injuries and post-traumatic stress. And they are doing these amazing um, intensive programs where they will bring a veteran from anywhere in the world. So if they're stationed, say, in Okinawa, they will bring them to Boston. And this is all done outside of the arms of the military. Wow. So they're protecting the veteran with HIPAA rules Mm -hmm. and laws. And they will bring them in for a two-week intensive program to help treat their specific um, issues with post-traumatic stress or their addiction issues. Mm -hmm. or And they've trained thousands and thousands of clinicians they've had thousands of veterans go through one of their many programs they have family counseling it's an organization that is just doing amazing work they just dedicated this whole wellness facility in the charlestown navy yard and they got um offered numbers and because they're partnered with mass general hospital who already has a couple teams for the marathon the home base team falls under mass general's teams and so there's 20 of us running this year as the inaugural team for home base. Wow. And yeah. so now— it, You can tell I have no passion about this. No, <laughs> well, right? It's great. It's a great thing. and It's a nutty thing to do, and but it, it's admirable at any level. But, uh, you know, women who've never run before to say, okay, I'm going to do 26 miles, that's nuts. Yeah. And uh, I'm very proud of you. Thank you. Let me ask you this. Um, how can someone sponsor your run? Okay, because this is, this is going to air on— uh, when does this air? Thursday? Air, air, air. It's, in, it's a podcast. When's it go it's live? It's a fucking podcast. I mean, it doesn't air. It uh, and when does it drop? <laughs> yeah, you use don't the know by the now. Kids are saying, That's Mikey, they're asking me about my second shit out. My second <laughs> testicle. When does that drop? Uh, so when does uh, when, when when how can people like donate? So if you want to make a donation, you can go to waf.com slash run. Okay, waaf dot. I'm writing this down. Yeah. Dot, dot com slash run slash how do you spell run? 
R U N. If you can remember WAF.com, <laughs> when you go to that page, if you click on the picture of the purple haired girl, that would be will, you. That would be me. Okay. It'll take you to a page where. <laughs> Uh, there's a donation page set up. Because I'm going to have Ben donate f- f- great in, 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 for the podcast. Uh, great. I'll ben, take it. G- g- throw a few hundred down there, Ben. No problem. There's a lot of information about the home base program, too. So if anybody that's listening ha- is a veteran or has a veteran in the family that thinks that this organization could be helpful for them. It's linked there. It's all linked there. Their mission statement, all of the different uh, treatments that they offer. Yep. Uh, it's all outlined at waf.com. Well, we salute you. But you've never you've you've always had a special place in your heart for for veterans and soldiers you look i know you went overseas a couple times where the action was yeah i was the first non-news journalist ever embedded with troops in iraq and afghanistan that had to be nuts too. It was I always ask you: You do skydiving? You have this kind of like motorcycle adventuresome side. Yeah, adventurous, I guess. Yeah, those trips changed my life for sure. Let me ask you a question. One of the things we do on this show is we talk about some of our brushes with greatness, and they usually are stories, negative stories of our interactions with celebrities. My dislike for Simon LeBon of (laughs) Duran Duran. He's had a number. I met him. He was very nice to me. Well, you're a beautiful woman. He was I'm a, not. He was a, such a dick to Ben. Yeah, such an asshole. <laughs> Do you have any good stories of just celebrities in the studio just being assholes and you were just repulsed by them? Oh, I've only met or interviewed two celebrities, only one of them is still alive, that were absolute dicks to me. I interviewed Scott Weiland from STP over the phone. Yeah. And he was an absolute asshole to me. He's probably completely fucked up. I'm assuming so. Um, And then the only one that I ever had in the studio that was a total douchebag to me was Dave Navarro from Jane's Addiction. Uh, Was this at the time when he's with, like, Carmen Electra? Uh, it it's possible he was he had started this side project band and was in town and it was like the Friday afternoon of a holiday weekend I can't remember if it was Fourth of July or Memorial Day weekend but it was the Friday afternoon before a big long holiday weekend and he brought this band up and they were playing at like the Paradise or something because it was this little side project band he was doing and they were going to come up to the studio and they were going to play and then they were late. And then my show was almost over, and so we weren't going to have him play. They were just going to come up to the studio. And he came in the studio, and the first thing he did was light up a cigarette or try to light up a cigarette. And you guys know, when you work in a radio station setting, not down in the basement doing a podcast where you can smoke whatever you want. (laughs) What are you talking about? It's only (laughs) pot. But they have these things called halon systems that is a chemical that if it senses fire— the, the chemical comes out sprays and, it, you. and it sprays you and it eats oxygen and it snuffs the fire out when you're around a lot of electronics. There, there could be firefighters and, you know, chemical engineers listening that are like, Mr. Carey, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. But yeah. I, I, this is the roundabout generalized description. So basically, if the halon system goes off and you're sitting in the room and you're, you inhale it, you you're die. Dust. You're dust, yeah. So my so your advice would be if you're ever on fire, run into a radio station. Yeah, well, well I mean, you know, not mine. <laughs> Not while I'm on the air, <laughs> it. but it. So he. So I was lecturing him, like, dude, you can't smoke you can't in here. Smoke. He was just such a dick, and yeah. I was just like, he copped such an attitude, and then he started talking about like, you know, this podcast or whatever that he had. And mind you, this was like ten years ago plus, and I was just like, I here I am, like inviting you on my show to promote your band. And you're and, smoking, and you're just not even just the smoking. He just. <laughs> 
He looked at me like, who are you to tell me not to smoke in yeah. your studio? And I was like, dude, get fucked. Did like, I was so <laughs> pissed. Did you, it's so you, nice you to be able to swear. You see these nails I got there? <laughs> but he just, out of anybody, and I've met a lot of people. Sure you have. You've met everybody. Have, that other people have said, oh, I had a negative experience with those people. Right. And it just... I don't know. Maybe I'm naive. Maybe it's because I'm a girl. Maybe there's just no reason to be a dick when you're trying to promote. Hold on. That's for oh, me. God. Hold on. Hold on. I don't even know who it is. The wrong number. Oh, wrong number? That's, I look at that. Yeah, I don't know whose number it is. That's Ray Davies. If it were like my mom or something, it would come up. But So, I, we so had, he's the only one out yeah. of everybody. Those are the that's only two. That's a pretty two. good run. Yeah, I, as long I as you've been on air, that's story. a pretty damn good run. Yeah, I really haven't. I mean, there have been people you catch them on a bad day, and they're just not all that talkative, or right. they're not feeling well. But I really have never really had huge run-ins with you any know. any of the artists. But coming from the roadie perspective, like I'm always because I used to tour and build stages and light rigs and all that, which is what I did before I was on the air. I treat the artists differently when they come into town. Because I remember what it was like to be in a different city every day. Sure. And it's like an insider in. view of the whole experience. Yeah, and so I make sure that they're comfortable. When they come into my studio, it's like you came to my house, and so I want to make sure that you have a coffee and that you're comfortable and that yeah. you have everything. And so I start out that way, and I think it sets a tone with whoever comes into the studio that then you got to be a real asshole if I'm being that nice to you and sure. you're a dick anyway. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So, First concert, Ben, ever? Pearl Jam. Smitty? First concert? Oh, God. It's fucking like that was Glenn. a long time ago. It was like the Glenn Miller band. <laughs> <laughs> fucking guy. Actually, Me too. Mine wasn't free. No, nobody can hear him. Three, I know. Yeah, yeah, you can hear him. <laughs> and it was free. Wait, wait it was at the Honolulu Bowl? So was that the show where they um, uh, he opened up for the monkeys? No, no, no. That, I, that's where I met my first girlfriend, though. Come on, I want Leia. Oh. She was awesome. What was your first show? Believe it or not, I, it was a gift <laughs> from my aunts, and they took me to see Lionel Richie on the Dancing on the Ceiling tour with Sheila E. opening up at the Worcester Centrum. Oh, and Sheila weirdness. E. did this drum solo in lingerie. And, I've done that. and <clears throat> Haven't we all? And she was just crazy, and then... You know, it was the height of dancing on the ceiling, that whole era. So the, all the band members, like Lionel Richie's, like, getting sucked up off the stage and walking along the rafters of yeah. the, the Worcester Centrum. It was very cool. And then a couple months later, I saw Bon Jovi, and that changed my that life. That changed, changed everything. Yeah. The worst experience ever at a concert. I, I was uh, working at WCCC, and I had to go up on stage and announce between the bands who, upcoming shows for Jim Coplick and Shelley Finkel, you know, down in Hartford. So I'm supposed to get up there and read this list of upcoming bands that are going to be playing. So the Rockets opened for ACDC. So I'm up there between the Rockets, who were fucking loud, and ACDC, who were twice as loud as them. And I'm saying, oh, well, coming up, we got this show, this show, this show. And then I said, and the Doobie Brothers, because it was on the list. Hey, I'm a Doobies fan. But listen to what happened. These black shirt, T-shirted... Jack Daniels drinking crazy fucking, rock and roll troublemakers. They were throwing ice cubes at me. Aww. And so I'm ducking these ice cubes. And so, psh, psh, the promoter comes out and grabs me off the stage. She goes, come on, let's get out of Don't here. Don't say the fucking Doobie Brothers on an ACDC oh, stage, you stupid. That was real scary. But uh, that wasn't my first. My, my first show was Hendrix too. Me and Smitty both. Ugh. I was 14 years old. I didn't even know how to get high. I was drinking Romolar cough syrup. I mean, I didn't know what I was doing. 
Hendrix. I'm like, three bucks? How can you go wrong? I can't believe you saw Hendrix. That's yep. so it's 1968 awesome. in Hartford. It's uh, So are you going to be doing any – let's ask Carrie this question. Are you oh, going to be doing anything weird aside from the – <laughs> the uh, marathon. Are you going to be doing any more skydiving? You you yeah. jump out of plane. Skydiving starts in a couple of weeks. Why? What, what, what do you mean starts in a couple of weeks? Well, when the drop zone opens after the winter. I mean, I could go skydiving like, down like in do Florida. Do you have like a seasonal pass? Well, I, I'm a member of the club at the drop zone, so I've been Jeez. skydiving for 20 years. Good Lord. I have my own, my own rig. I'm telling you, it's life-changing. I have had certain things in my life. That completely changed how I look at the world. My first skydive was one of those things. Being embedded with the troops overseas was one of those things. Like, it changed the trajectory of my whole life. It was probably as close to a religious experience as I've ever had, jumping out of the plane the first time. Because you were praying all the way down. No, you know what it is? I'll tell you exactly what it is, is that your rational brain tells you, that this is a bad idea. Because it is. Because you're, I mean, first of all, human beings aren't supposed to be in planes anyway. So let's no. just get that off the, we're not supposed to fly, okay? So you're in this plane, which is already kind of a bad idea, and you're in the door, and you're two and a half miles off the ground, and your brain is saying, you don't have to do this. What are you doing this for? This is dangerous. You could die, whatever. Sure. And you conquer that and go anyway. And when you land. No, you conquer that and go anyway well you collectively because i'm going to take all of you guys no you're not um no, when you not. land you those feel straps so, hurt my boobs tell me about it um you feel so powerful that you conquered this fear and then you realize that you enjoyed it but you kept doing so you keep doing it yeah so i've only seen two kinds of people i've seen the kind of person that landed kissed the ground said oh my god that was amazing i'm so glad i did it check it off the bucket list i'm never doing it again right right and then there's the kind of person like me that did it and says i have to do that every day for the right. rest of my life that's see that's what makes you nuts and makes us normal the rest of us here i, I don't think Which is, that's no nuts. it's not i don't mean that in a bad way you remember because i love you Remember, I've loved you since 99, okay? <laughs> so don't get pissed at me just because I say you're not normal. You're not normal. <laughs> but, there's, but there's another thing to it, and I've, and I've heard <laughs> veterans explain it because um, there's a, a, a singular focus, a myopic focus that you get. That it's impossible to worry about whether you paid the mortgage on time, if the meter is going to run out and you're going to get a parking ticket. You're in something. I've heard veterans describe being in a firefight or something like that where your brain cannot process anything that is not pertinent to the exact moment in what you're doing at right. that very second. Because all that other stuff really doesn't matter it at that moment. It just doesn't matter at that moment. Yeah. And there are very few things in life that give you that clarity of vision and it's so addictive to have your brain that quiet that you're just so focused and all of the noise <laughs> goes away. Mm -hmm. And so whether it's skydiving or, you know, some people say scuba diving is like that. When you find that activity where everything else goes away, that's what you do. And that's what it does for me. And I started a skydiving program with another veterans organization that I work with, 22 Kill, which uh, their mission statement is to really combat the suicide problem with veterans because it's an epidemic. Yeah. And so we started a skydiving program and we take these guys who, uh, you know, most people in the military are not airborne. So unless your special forces are airborne, you're really not skydiving as part of your MOS. And so they go jumping for the first time. And, you know, a couple of years ago, a guy looked at me and goes, I haven't felt like that since the last time I got shot at. 
which is a crazy thing to say. The last time, <laughs> not the only Jesus. time. But for, but for a veteran, yeah. they understand because in that moment, again, you're in a firefight. You're focused on the mission at hand, and you can't think about anything else. And to give somebody something that's safe, regulated, skydiving is a lot safer than people think it is. Well, yes, especially people who are scared, like <laughs> me, of heights. And me. Oh, Steve, Stephen Wright said that. He goes, I'm not afraid of heights, just widths. <laughs> um, Carrie, so you're running awesome. in the marathon. Yeah. You're the assistant program director at the classic uh, rock station, WA. It's not classic rock. Yeah, we're not a, we're, we're a classic in that we're classic old. Legendary yeah. rock legendary. station. Yeah, okay. I like See, that word better. I, I, I've been doing radio my whole fucking life. I, was, I would eventually get to the right words. Okay. <laughs> Just give me time. You know, it's not like I've, I've eaten. <laughs> um, Food. You're, uh, you got the new gig. You got the new placard on your desk that says yeah. assistant program director. Your Nothing nails else has are, really Your nails changed. are still perfect. The rest of you is even more perfect. Your hair is still purple. My ass is in such better shape than it was the last <laughs> time I saw you because of all this running. That's what we were talking about. Like, it's like boom. And we're going to do some photos after the podcast and put them out there on Another the Another month of this training. I crossed yeah. the finish line on Boylston. The and go to waaf.com slash run. Yes. Huh? And there's a link there to donate. There's information on the home base program. I've been uh, getting videos and messages from all different bands supporting me. And yeah. um, there's just all the information. Well, there. I'll, re- I'll retweet everything you tweet about it because I love you. And we, we thank you for coming in here all the way to our little uh, studio Thanks here in Sudbury. Thanks for having me. Sudbury. Let me crash the boy party down here. She's the one and only Mistress Carrie. W-A-A-F for Ben Kitchen. Smitty, I'm Mikey. Thanks for being here.